Good morning to you all. How are you doing today? Online, how you doing? Doing good. Uh, we woke up this morning and my son's like, there's a puppy, there's a puppy. And uh, our dog gave birth to five beautiful puppies this morning. To God be the glory. And it's Baptism Sunday, so it's like a spiritual sign. Five, the number of grace, puppies, new birth. Not just probably because she made love with another dog and had puppies today, but anyway. We've been preaching on grace goals, so I wanna just jump right in um, to John chapter one, verse 14. Today I wanna talk to you about grace-filled leaders. Grace-filled leaders. And the reason I'm uh, discussing grace goals and leadership is because I feel like as a ministry, we're in a season where God's calling us all to use this gift of leadership, not only in the church, but in our homes, in our family, at our work. And it's not just uh, something we learn, but it's something we receive. The Bible calls it the gift of leadership. We're not just setting goals, we have grace goals. And grace goals require faith from God. They're bigger than us. They're beyond us. And a grace goal needs a grace gift. And a grace gift needs a grace-filled leader. Amen. So John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, today we thank You for Your Holy Spirit. We ask that You speak to us as only You can. We open our hearts and minds. We want to be grace-filled leaders. We want uh, to be saturated by your presence, filled with your Holy Spirit. We don't just want to be uh, individuals looking for outcomes that best benefit our life, but we want thy kingdom come and thy will to be done in earth as it is in heaven. So let your word bring forth much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? You could be seated today. The leadership that I'm talking about today is, it's a gift, it's not a payment plan. So there are leaders who are filled with pride, and that's not the kind of leadership I'm talking about today. The gift of leadership is something that we receive. The Bible says that he gives grace to the humble, and he resists the proud, which means humility of receiving a gift is us responding to the grace of God. Leadership is a function, not an identity. So your title doesn't mean much in heaven unless it's son and daughter of Jesus Christ. Your leadership is a resource. It is not the source. And it's something that you can use in life for the benefit of others and for the benefit of yourself. But it's not the source. It's not your God. And I want us today as we um, get baptized and we launch out life group leaders in our next service, I wanna talk to you today about seven qualities of grace-filled leaders. Number one, it's on the app, it's in your outline. Number one, grace-filled leaders take initiative. Grace-filled leaders take initiative. Proverbs 16.10, a good leader motivates, doesn't mislead, and doesn't exploit. Grace leaders are people who take initiative. Um, 
I said this last week, but when I was a single parent, um, the, the Lord spoke to me individually, not through his word, just me and him talking. And I realized uh, the kids were waking up before me. And I would wake up to Cheerios everywhere and milk everywhere and the house a mess. And I would be chasing them down to try to clean everything they were doing. And the Lord spoke to me and said, whoever wakes up first is the leader. Somebody got convicted right there. Amen. Because whoever gets up first and sets the pace is the one who's setting the pace for the day. So if you're rolling out of bed and trying to drag into worship and just make it to the last song, you weren't ready. But some of you came and said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Some of you came with the first fruits, your tithe. You came ready. And some of you are like, oh, my God, how long will this offering be? <laughs> Leaders take initiative. It's the law. When we study the Bible uh, in hermeneutics, there's a principle called the law of first mention. So whatever is mentioned first sets the precedence for when it's mentioned next. For example, the first time uh, baptism is mentioned in the Bible is uh, the story of Noah, when the, the world is flooded and evil is conquered and, and, and Noah goes on the ark. It's a type because it's the first, it's setting a precedence. So when you're baptized, you enter into Jesus and all the filth of sin is washed away. When the children of Israel are, are running from uh, the Egyptians and the sea splits, and they cross over, and then the water closes on the Egyptians, which is a type of the world. It's a type of baptism that they're going through the water, and they're going to be saved, but sin and all of that that is pursuing to destroy them will be washed away. That's baptism. It's the law of the first mention. It's the law of the firstborn son. Whoever was born first got the inheritance. But the reason they got the inheritance is because if the father were to pass away, they would be next in line for the responsibility to take care of the rest of the family. But sometimes the people who were born first didn't act like or take initiative to take the responsibility of what being first meant. So the second child would sometimes come up to be the first. So it wasn't just about the title. It was about who was going to take the initiative and take the responsibility in the family to lead according to the revelation that they had. Let the church say, amen. We need to be leaders that take initiative. You know who I love in the Bible? I love Peter because um, when they came to get Jesus, he pulled out his sword. He cut off his ear. He took initiative. Maybe it wasn't the right thing in Jesus like, hey, don't be cutting people's ear off. But he took initiative. I remember when I was in school, this, this one kid, he kept getting bullied, and these kids would come and slap him, come and slap him in the back of the head, come and slap him in the back of the head. And I said, and I, I took him to the side and talked to him. I said, look it, the next time they slap you, you got to slap back, man. He's like, then they'll beat me up worse. I promise you, the only reason they're slapping you is because you're letting them slap you. If you slap them back, I know you go to jail now, so don't, this is not advice. But if you slap them back, they'll quit slapping you. And they slapped him, he slapped him back, they slapped him harder, he slapped him back. And this is not to promote violence, but what I'm telling you today 
is some of the reason of why you're being defeated in your life is because you don't have a slap back in your spirit. And you have to get a slap. I'm not just going to stand here and be the enemy's punching bag. I'm not just going to be walked all over. I'm going to take initiative and be the leader that God's called me to be. I got a slap back in my spirit. So when, when life slaps me, I slap it back. I take initiative. Uh, I, I know Miss um, Kay, she's a wonderful volunteer here. She said, you, you know what we're doing? We're, we're starting a Bible study at the National City Police Department. Somebody who didn't need somebody to tell them what to do, but said, I have a burden to do something, and they did something. Miss Irma right here, she's ministering to, to homeless people, and she says, we're going to hand out blankets. I'm like, you're going to hand out blankets? Can we hand out blankets? And now the church is like, let's all hand out blankets on January 28th, because somebody said, I want to do something and take initiative. I'm going to do something. You would clap better if it translated to your house, like if the husband was like, he took initiative to take the trash out. He took initiative to take you out on a date. He took initiative to be the first one to say, I love you. He took initiative. Imagine your kids waking up, taking initiative and making their bed. Could God be the glory in this house today? Come on, man, where are you at? You know, our Emmaus class, 80 percent of the people who sign up are women more women tie than this house than men do more women show up to church than men do and some men only come to church because they want to support their wife but you want the you want to be the spiritual leader in your home but you don't take any spiritual initiative and so when your wife gets discouraged, like, I'm going to support her. I'm not going to go to church. Take some initiative. Be the first to pray. Lift up your hands. Sign up. Be a part of something. Lead something. Let them know, hey, I'm going to lead this house under the authority that God's given us. I'm the man of this house. Doesn't seem like it. At least pray for your food. Take initiative. Number two, grace-filled leaders model character. Proverbs 16, 10 through 13. A good leader motivates, doesn't mislead, doesn't exploit. God cares about honesty in the workplace. Your business is his business. Good leaders abhor wrongdoing of all kinds. Sound leadership has a moral foundation. Good leaders cultivate honest speech. They love advisors who tell them the truth. They do the right things. For the right reasons they have a sense of character Th this is what we have to do we have to lock ourselves in the prison of our convictions and throw away the key and quit compromising our character on decisions that we're making the Bible says in Job that he was a man who was filled with integrity and because he was filled in with integrity he faced a lot of suffering because it takes integrity to face suffering properly. The Bible said in Job 2.8 that Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery. And he sat among the ashes and his wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from God's hand and, and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong 
when you're going through rough times, who you are shows up. Do you have enough character to face the storm that you're in? Not just your character, but the character of Christ. Some of you know this, that uh, when there's a storm coming, the cattle run away from the storm. But when buffaloes see a storm, they don't run away like cattle do. They look and run into the storm. The character of the buffalo is to run into the storm because he has a better chance to get out of it if he's willing to go through it. And I just want to ask you today, uh, do you have the character to face what you're facing and say, God, you are my shepherd and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Character is steady when my circumstances aren't. Character doesn't pay attention to every emotion I have. Character doesn't get blown aside with every wind of doctrine. Character doesn't crumble under people's opinion. Character stays planted and says, I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna take every step and do everything that God has called me to do. Character does the right thing for the right reasons. Number three, grace-filled leaders protect healthy boundaries. Titus 2.12, the grace of God teaches us to say no. Woo, that's good right there. Some of you thought the grace of God, the grace of God, you can do whatever you want. Yes, in, in this way, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You know, one of your most anointed words, if you want a, a, a word for the year, one of your most anointed words will be no. When I, when I tell my children no, they usually say why. And I say my no is my why. I just equipped somebody in the power of the sphere right there. My no is my why. If you don't have a revelation of God's grace, you'll say yes to everything and everyone in an attempt to please people because of the, your own brokenness that lays inside. And you say yes and exchange your peace to please people. But whenever you say yes, you're also saying no. When you say yes to the meeting, you're saying no to the date night. When you say yes to overtime, you're saying no to more time with your kids. Every time you say a yes, you gotta be careful what you're saying no to. And every time you say no, you say yes to something else. And some of you are saying yes to health this year, but you're also saying yes to a bad diet. You're saying yes to marriage, but yes to unfaithfulness. Yes to wholeness and yes to addiction. Yes to savings and yes to debt. But if I keep saying yes to everything, then God won't be able to do what he really wants to do in my life because really when I say yes to one thing, I'm saying no to another thing. God is gonna give you the revelation and the power of his grace so you can freely and fully tell people no without condemnation. I wish we'd all get that revelation here today. No, with a smile on your face. You don't gotta be mean about it, just no. Just no. 
setting boundaries. Ecclesiastes 10 and 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it. And whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. Which means walls are there for a reason. Boundaries exist to protect us and keep us safe from things that aren't actually supposed to be in our lives. And when we start taking away boundaries, we start getting bit by things that we didn't know were actually there in our lives. Number four, grace-filled leaders bring the best out in people. Are you that person that brings the best out of people? Or do you call out the worst in them? First Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We have treasure in earthen vessels. You know what that means? We have, let me say it this way. We have dirt. Woo! Y'all have some dirt in your life. Some of you are like, I need to get a man of God. Well, you could ask my wife. The man of God has dirt too. Preacher dirt. All of you have dirt. And it's easy to point out dirt in other people's lives. It's easy to see the dirt. You know what the, the beauty is? When you don't just see the dirt, but you start to see the treasure and you're willing to look past and dig past the dirt to find the real treasure that God has in people and bring the treasure out of the dirt. It's easy to say, hey, haven't you put on some weight and now your, your jeans don't fit anymore? No, it's the style. They're skinny jeans now. Is that a stain on your carpet? No, it's the style. We're going to put stain. We're going to add stains everywhere. It's a mosaic of, of a carpet. It's a new thing. It's cost tons of money. If do you want to buy some, bringing out the best, speaking out the best of people. Oh, my, my kid, he keeps smoking vapes and he's selling it. Oh, he's an entrepreneur. Praise God. God's going to you. Woo. Can't keep my kid home. I never know. He's an evangelist. How powerful is that? Wow. We were having a meeting the other night, and I was, like, telling people uh, how we needed more life groups. And uh, I, I kind of threw out a number we had, and I thought it was, like, a bad number. And then the new people, they start clapping. They're like, wow, isn't this amazing? And I got convicted because I was like, I was seeing what we were missing, but they were seeing what was there. Sometimes we preach disappointment and frustration, like, why is that seat empty? And we miss who's actually in the seat and who God brought today and who's actually online and who's engaged. And what if through the power of the Holy Spirit, you got discernment and say, you know what, I'm going to start speaking in people's life and pulling out the best in them. The scripture said in Acts 20, 32, and now I entrust you, which means you've been trusted to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Which means, hey, look, at you've been entrusted with a word of grace. And when you've been entrusted with grace and you start speaking grace over people's life, not only does it build them up, it builds you up. Not only does it make them better, it makes you better. When you use your words under the power of gravity, you bring the whole atmosphere down. You bring the vibe down. You bring people down. But when you use the word of grace 
and you start building people up and encourage them to who God wants them to be, you see what God will do in your life when you start sowing into other people's lives and you start prophesying to who they are. I know some of you think prophecy is just predicting people's future. It's not. It's uh, the New Testament prophecy is forthtelling, which is encouragement and comforting and exhorting and lifting people up and building them up in the most holy of faith and encouraging people. And so you can prophesy with your mouth. And some of you still Old Testament prophets in here. If you don't clean your room, I'm going to beat you to death. If you don't do this, if you don't do that, and if you don't do this, and if you don't do that, speak some life. Speak some life. Speak a word of grace that'll sanctify your house. Speak a word of grace over your marriage. Oh, you never take me here. You never say you love me. You ain't going to get anyone to say they love you by nagging them about how they don't say they don't love you. You know what you got to do? You got to start modeling to them and encouraging them with a word of grace. I love you so much. You're just the best thing since salt and vinegar. Amen. <laughs> Grace-filled leaders, they bring out the best in people. And I want to encourage you, everybody that hears me today, are you bringing out the best in people? Do you like what you see around you? And what are you contributing to what's around you? Are you bringing out the best are you pointing out the obvious? Oh, you're such a jerk. We all know he's a jerk. We all know he's a jerk. And he kind of knows it too. But what if he said, man, you're God's son. And I was so thankful that God brought you in my life. I hope I treat you the way Jesus wants me to treat you. He'd be like, girl, I love you. I love you. Don't let her see you cry. Bring out the best. Number five, grace-filled leaders have a heart to serve. Matthew 20, 26 through 28. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. Not must be gifted, not must be talented, not must have it all together. They must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to be like Jesus? Be willing to serve others. Be willing to serve others. Not about the title. It's not about how much honor you get. It's not about your power. It's not about your success. It's about how are you willing to serve others. Not just at church. And if you're not serving at church, you should. But I'd ask this question because sometimes the, the mirror of your ministry is your family. How are you doing in the dish ministry at your house? How are you doing serving one another? Because the scripture says in Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that a great competition? I'm going to wake up and out love my spouse. Be like, let me rub your feet. No, you rub my feet. No, I want to rub your feet. Outdo one another in showing honor. Speaking highly of them. Regarding them. Outdo yourself in, in, in honor. Outdo them in showing honor. Just, don't just tell your kids to respect you. Outdo them and show them what respect looks like and respect them and honor them and love them and serve them the best you can. 
Don't just tell people what to do. Show them by serving them. And whatever you serve, God will give you authority in the areas that you serve. You can't speak to areas that you have no authority in. And you have no authority if you're not willing to serve in those areas. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, By the grace of God, I am that I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Grace works hard. It's not lazy. It's not apathetic. It outdoes people, not in a bad spirit, but in a good way. He says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God in me. Waking up with a passion and motivation that, man, I got the Holy Spirit, the creator of the universe, operating on the inside of me, and I'm going to get up and do something in the name of Jesus. Grace filled leaders, just here to serve. How can I serve you? How, how, can, I, how can I bless you? How can I, how can I be there for you in this season? Number six, grace filled leaders have the right values. We all have values, but not all of us have the right values. Proverbs 16, 16 says, get wisdom. It's worth more than money. Choose insight over income every time. Do you value income more than insight? Are you chasing money, but you're not chasing feedback? Are you chasing income, but you're not chasing insight? Are you more concerned about what you get in life or who you become in life? Are you valuing the mammon of this world or the righteousness of God? The Bible says in Proverbs 4, 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. There's some people who have a lot of money who are poor, but there's some people who lack zeros in their bank account, but are rich because they're rich in the wisdom of God and in the inside of God, and God values wisdom, his wisdom from above over income. In fact, one of the wisest men besides Jesus in the world prays this prayer, now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge or govern this great people of yours. Isn't that a, amazing? He wants wisdom because he wants to serve people, but he doesn't see the people he's serving as less than him. He sees them as great. How am I going to lead people who are smarter than me, better than me, better looking than me? If you're going to lead somebody, you got to believe in them more than you believe it, it just, it just in yourself. You don't serve people for them to make you great. You serve people because they're great. He says... Give me wisdom. Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked for long life. That's some of y'all's prayer requests. Huh? Lord, let me live long. Lord, give me a promotion. Lord, uh, make my enemies' tires go flat. But because you didn't ask for any of this, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches, wealth, and honor, such as none of the kings have had before or will ever have like this. Because your starting point is correct, 
I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for because you asked for the right thing. Some of us are asking for the wrong things and we're getting those things or not getting those things, but we're at the wrong starting place. But God, what should our prayer be? Give me wisdom in my marriage. Give me wisdom on how to lead your great children. Give me wisdom on how to, uh, when I'm at work, on how to treat people. Give me wisdom with my enemies. Give me wisdom with my neighbor. Not just a worldly wisdom that I learned from a book, but a God insight, a God motivated knowledge, a God inspired from heaven wisdom to deal with the situations and circumstances that I'm living in my life. Why don't we just take the next 30 seconds and pray for wisdom? God, we just pray for wisdom right now. Whatever circumstance or situation you're in, that thing that's driving you crazy, you know what it requires? It requires the, the, the gift of leadership where God will give you wisdom. He'll give you the right words to say. He said that in the book of Acts, that, hey, don't think about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say in the right moment to say them. We praise you for wisdom. Number seven, I'll close with this. Grace-filled leaders cover those they lead. Grace-filled leaders cover those they lead. How many appreciate a leadership that doesn't just expose your faults, but's willing to cover you and come along and walk with you when you're in the worst moments of your life? Grace doesn't blink. People come here and they tell me all their time some of the things they're facing or struggling and I mean people do some crazy stuff but grace is not shocked by people's sin or surprised by it but humans should be surprised by grace that God's grace is greater than our sin where sin abounds grace does much more abound a cleansing grace God's not shocked by your shortcomings and your frailties and your feebleness and your ups and downs God's not shocked by your addictions and perversions God's not shocked he knows earthlings and humans are broken vessels but we should be so surprised that even though he knows us he loves us even though he knows us he covers us in Luke 15 22 when the prodigal son goes and wastes his substance on riotous living the Bible calls it he takes his inheritance and he goes to a far country and the Bible says when he came to the end of himself he was in this 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 hog pen and he's eating the diet of hogs supposed to be a king's kid but eating with pigs and staying in stalls and the Bible says and when he came to himself he started on a journey that his heart was pointed back toward home when he came that's that's the revelation some of us need today the revelate when they came to themselves not when you got the revelation of how bad they were but you got the revelation of how much you needed God when they came, when he came to himself. In those days, there was a tradition called, called the Kazaza. And it was a 
a, a ceremony that when a Jewish boy would waste his substance and live amongst the Gentiles, it would become a, a, a shame to the village. And so they would get all the elders of the village and uh, the older men who would come together and they would bring pots and they would have this ceremony. And the ceremony, they would take these pots and they would break it, break it, signifying broken relationship. And as they broke it, they would say to him that he is an outcast. They would say to him that he doesn't belong there. In those days, a man was not supposed to show his, his legs, but the father, you see, because it would be a shame, the father picks up his skirt, picks up his robe, and runs to his son, taking on the shame that was meant for his son and said, I'm going to come and put a robe around him and cover him. I could talk about my son, but you can't talk about my son. I'm going to cover him and the shame and the party they wanted to have for him, we're not gonna have that party, but I'm gonna give him a robe to cover him. I'm gonna put a ring on his finger. I'm gonna have a celebration and a party for my son was once lost, but is now found. He once was dead, but he's now alive. A kind of leader that says, hey, I'll walk with you, not when you got your act together. I'll walk with you when you're broken and you don't know what you're doing next. I'll walk with you through your divorce. I'll walk with you as you're working it out. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it together. You could be messed. I'll walk with you when you're strung out. I'll walk with you when you might steal from, from my wife's purse. I'll walk with you when I have to keep my eyes on you. I'll walk with you. That's the kind of leader that says, hey, I know the state of humanity and it can get pretty bad, but I know the state of grace and it gets really good and it's better than where you're at. And God has the, I thank God that he's covered me. That's why he's given me the freedom to cover other people because he walked with me. He talked with, he saved me from doing some stupid stuff. He saved me from some jail time. Amen. Didn't even know you could be arrested for those kind of things, but he, you guys are like, what? Forget you, I know you too. A God that covered you and walked with you and holds you and says, we're not gonna let you live in shame anymore. You're not gonna walk in shame. You're gonna walk in freedom. Would you stand to your feet? Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. When they knew their nakedness and were ashamed, God didn't say like, hey, you guys are super naked. This is awkward. He knew they were naked and he said, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to cover you. I'm going to cover you. Some people, they have such a hard time even coming to church because they feel so exposed. Don't tell on yourself right now, but you ever walked in a building like everybody knows? They, they know. It's like worship's almost, it's almost time for worship to be over. We're out of here. Come on, let's leave now. Everybody knows what I've done. Everybody knows who I am. Everybody knows I'm a fraud. Everybody knows. Even if everybody knew, even if God knows, because he does. 
He doesn't say, hey guys, they showed up. And it's by my grace, I'm gonna keep the walls standing. I'm not gonna strike lightning down today because you guys are righteous. I know what you've done. He's not Santa Claus. He doesn't have a list checking if you're naughty or nice and bringing you gifts based off of your goodness. He's a good God that brings gifts to you based off of his goodness. You know what you bring for your salvation? Bring your sin and your repentance, and that's all God needs from you. Don't bring self-righteousness. Don't bring your moral excellence. Bring your sin and your repentance, and let God save you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, 